good to see each of you here tonight. I know that we have a few visitors with us, and uh, many are still traveling, and we've, I know our number is down considerably, but uh, we're glad to have each of you here tonight. I was asked to do a couple of things. Uh, number one, I was asked by others if I would address the topic, what does the Bible say about Christmas? And then I was asked by the elders if I would to try to keep the services a little shorter than uh, normal, at least not to uh, go over times. I can accomplish both of those very quickly tonight. What does the Bible say about Christmas? I'm done. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. The Bible does not use the word Christmas. It's found nowhere in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. There's no directions given as to how a person should celebrate what is often called the birth of Christ. The truth is the Bible says nothing about it. And I want you to look up there and I want that to be um, a reminder that when we start asking the question, what does God want us to do? We have to go to the scriptures for the answer. And many times what we find ourselves in is in a world which there's a lot of things that have been added to it, a lot of things that have been changed. Of course, I'm sure that somebody might say, but you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm not really asking what does the Bible say about Christmas, but what does the Bible say about the birth of Christ? That's a different topic. You see, that's a biblical topic about which you and I can talk. It's one which we can preach on any time we gather together. We can take the scriptures and all of those passages and we can observe what they teach and we can learn from them and we can apply them. But here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about fact versus fiction about the birth of Christ. There's a lot of what the Bible does say, and we ought to know it. We ought to understand it. And then there are some areas where we just simply do not know. And there's some that have been erroneously given. So for just a few minutes, let's explore the idea of some facts regarding the birth of Christ, and then we'll follow up with some of the fiction. The birth of Christ was the subject of prophecy. If you go back to the Old Testament, there was the king Ahaz, and God, through the prophet Isaiah, told him to ask for a sign. And he refused to do so, and so he said in chapter 7 and verse 14, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means literally God with us. When you go to the book of Micah, to chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, Blessed are you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, for out of you, or one of the smallest of Judah, for out of you shall come one who shall be ruler of Israel. Small little Bethlehem, little town of Bethlehem, is going to be the birthplace of the Savior. You can go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where it says God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of law, in the fullness of time. God had a plan, and the prophecy of the coming of the birth of Jesus Christ was something the Bible looked forward to. 
When you come a little bit closer to that time, you realize that Mary and Joseph had Jesus' birth pre-announced to them. What a blessing Mary must have had to, to hear those words that that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph needed to hear that lest he think somehow that this uh, fiancé of his had been unfaithful. And so there was the pre-announcing in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, as well as Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. But for just a few minutes, let's explore just what the Scripture said. We're going to look at Luke's account, and then we will look at Matthew's. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing in Syria. So all went out to be registered, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there that the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, here's some of the things we know. This occurred during the reign of the Roman Emperor Augustus, who, by the way, happened to be the nephew of Julius Caesar. This was a specific period of time in history. We also know, according to Luke's record, that it was during the reign of Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria. So that even further narrows the time in which this occurs. This also occurred during a period of time in which there was a census for the purpose of taxation. Now, we have censuses in our country. The purposes of them is to decide how many representatives are in the House of Representatives as well as what kind of allocations of funds take place. But the Romans had censuses so that you could be counted in your own area. But we also know that due to a large number of people going to their ancestral home, Bethlehem was literally filled, a little small town. And now there's no room for them, and so they stayed in an animal stable. I will tell you that there are two different original words for in in the New Testament. One, for instance, like in the parable of the um, Good Samaritan, they took him to an inn. That's the word like for our word hotel. However, the word used here, the word for inn, is like for a guest room. You know, when the Lord wanted to celebrate the Passover with the apostles, he told them to go and to find a room, and that's the same word that is used here. But there's no room for them, either in a hotel-like or even what we might call a guest room is someone's place. And so they had to be uh, find a place of safety and a place for protection from the elements in a stable. We know also that Jesus was born and wrapped in swaddling cloths, same thing as medical strips. 
Babies were often swaddled and they would be wrapped many times even in salt. Uh, various things to try to be able to uh, protect them early in life. The text says that he was placed in a manger. We often see the picture of nativity scenes out in front of people's businesses or maybe in front of their houses. And you see a little wood structure and then you see a little wood uh, bassinet, if you want to call it that. But if you go to the Bible lands, you recognize that that's not really accurate. It's a little stone trough out of which the animals would either feed or drink. When you go to verses 8 through 20, Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you glad tidings, or good tidings, of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. I can imagine today, you know, for us to be out in a field and turn on lights, maybe uh, floodlights of some kind, maybe the headlights on a car, maybe some other means of illumination, but you've got to remember they're out in their fields by night. Natural light was what most of them lived by. If they did have a small light, it might be by a fire or might be even by a torch, but the glory of the Lord shone about them. I know why they were afraid. They were told that the Savior was born. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Let that sink in for just a moment. Who is... Christ, that is the Messiah, that is the promised one of the Old Testament, who is Christ the Lord. They would find the child in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths and a heavenly host appeared praising God. Can you imagine that event that took place that night? 
In Luke chapter 2, verses 21 and 2, And when in eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now we know that when Jesus was eight days old, he was circumcised. That was the law with regards to little babies being born. Then at the end of 40 days, you see you'll have the seven and you'll have 33 more At the end of 40 days, he would be presented to the Lord at Jerusalem. That was a requirement of the law. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. He says, tell the children of Israel, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And as the custom days of our impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. Now that's important to recognize that those 40 days occurred. And that's what the Bible teaches us about the birth of Jesus Christ. You don't see any sort of scriptural mandate or authority for something beyond that. Let's talk about some fictions. It's fiction to say that Jesus was born on December the 25th, 1 B.C. slash A.D. You really have no year zero, so it's either 1 B.C. 1 A.D. History records the celebration was first to counter the pagan celebrations during this period of time. In fact, the Romans celebrated the winter solstice on December the 25th. And with that came a lot of pagan rituals, and you don't want your people participating in those, and so you create another one. And it's around the 4th century when that actually begins to take place. There are some things that are incongruent with this. And that is, is that having been to the Bible lands, I can tell you, they don't stay out in the fields by night in December. There's a good reason for not staying out in the fields by night in December. It's cold, just like it is here. And you wouldn't stay out in the fields with them. You would uh, have them in a sheepfold. Historical records show that the uh, rulers noted by Luke that Jesus would have been born sometime between 7 B.C. and 4 B.C. And I know some of you are scratching your heads. How could he be born B.C.? But you see, our calendars are off by at least four to seven years. How do you know that? Herod died in 4 B.C. Yes, the same Herod that would speak to the wise men and want to know when Jesus was born and where Jesus was born. Since he had the children two years old and under killed, it's likely that Jesus was born somewhere around 6 or 5 B.C. I simply don't know. And if I told you, that would be fiction as well. 
it's a fiction to say that Jesus was visited by three wise men or three kings the night of his birth. I remember as a child being in a choral group in school and we sang the song, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts that travel afar, filled in fountain, morn and mountain, following yonder star. The idea that we would go, that the kings would go and uh, on the night of Jesus' birth. And if you watch the television specials, which is, by the way, where so many people get their theology, that's not what you see in Scripture. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, Where... The Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And they had opened their treasures. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed for their own country another way. I want you to notice after Jesus was born, it's found in verse 1. Not the night of his birth, after Jesus was born. They came from the east. That's going to require travel time. If they were magi or astrologers or wise men, as we would assume... And they came from Persia, which was the possibility here, from the east. They would require a considerable amount of travel time. It wouldn't have been that night. It would have been quite some time later. They did not find Jesus in the stable. They found him in a house. Evidently, time has passed enough now that Joseph and Mary have found more permanent lodging places to stay. The number or even the names of these wise men are not stated. You know, uh, this idea of we three kings or we three wise men, 
the Catholic Church actually has them named and actually has a shrine to them. And uh, But it's not told us how many or what their names were. But now we get to another part. It is fiction to say that we should observe this day as a religious service. There's a lot of people who have the idea that maybe what we ought to do is to have a Christmas service. You may or may not know that the word Christmas is a compound word, Christ and Mass, which refers to the Catholic service together. You and I need to realize that our traditions must come from God's Word and not from man's traditions. Man can develop all kinds of traditions, all kinds of of days. But when you go to 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by our word or by our epistle. You had to have apostolic authority. You had to have one of the apostles who was inspired of God to lay down divine traditions. To observe religious ordinances apart from divine direction is sinful. You say, what do you mean by that? I can't come up and say, okay, next Sunday we're going to have a devotion to this or that. It's not my place to do that. God is the one who designs what he wants us to do. Paul wrote the Galatians. He said to them, you observe days and months and seasons and years. What they were observing was many of those Old Testament uh, holy days. He said, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. If you're not able to distinguish between the ones that God has designed for you to participate in now versus some of those others, he said, I'm afraid for you. Well, then what about family fellowship? the seasonal giving and receiving of gifts. Is there something wrong, for instance, when we go back to our homes and we assemble together with our families and and we have a time of celebration? Well, there are things which are personally right, but if you make them religious, they become wrong. That's well seen in the book of Galatians. For instance, a parent may choose to have their young boy circumcised. There's nothing wrong with that. They choose to do so for health reasons or whatever other reasons. But if they make it a religious act, then it changes. Listen to Paul. Indeed, I, Paul, say that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. In fact, he goes on to say that they would be fallen from grace if they did such things. You see, we don't take something that is personal outside and then make it a part of a religious service. For instance, families may celebrate the holidays of Thanksgiving with turkey or the 4th of July with fireworks. 
but neither would be scriptural in the worship of God. We don't bring those things in. You may go to your home and celebrate your birthday, your parents' birthday, your child's birthday. You may have a cake. You may have candles on it. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you bring and you put a cake on the Lord's table and you put candles on it and you make it a part of a religious service, then you've done something that was to be outside of the worship and brought it inside worship. Well, someone says, well, then, do we have any memorial? Well, sure we do. There was one that was given to us through the Scriptures for us to remember about Christ. It's something that we participate in every first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 26 For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's the reason why this morning as we gathered around the table and we partook of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we were celebrating something that God had said, I want to be a part of the way you remember my son. And that is through the partaking of the emblems to remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Does that mean that I shouldn't teach about and preach about the birth of Christ? No, we should preach about it and we should teach about it and we should be thankful for it. But I go back to what was said in Matthew 1 and verse 23. His name's going to be called Jesus because he's going to save people from their sins. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Am I thankful that Jesus was born? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with my appreciating that? Not at all. But what does the Bible say about the birth of Christ? Let's make sure that we listen to and follow the teachings of God's word rather than what the world has put before us. Tonight, if you are not a Christian, we want to urge you to surrender your life to God. There are things that the Bible teaches that you and I should do. We should believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is the Messiah. That is the one that He was promised to be. That... Jesus is the Son of God. Then we should repent of those things that we've done that are sinful and wrong and make a change in our life. In Acts 17, verse 30, we learn that the times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to confess Him as the Savior of the world. For the mouth confession is made unto salvation, Romans chapter 10. And then to be baptized for the remission of those sins. That's an event. That's an action that God has commanded us to do. And and we in doing that symbolize like he did. He died and was buried in the tomb. And he rose again. And we are raised to walk in a new life. Romans 6 verses 4 through 6. And God's people are to remain faithful to him. Loyal to Him. 
Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we let sin creep in our lives and we need to be restored to faithfulness. We're told to pray if the thought of our heart will be forgiven us. Acts chapter 8. Tonight, if you need to render obedience, we want you to uh, turn with us to the book of uh, Psalm number 674. And we're going to sing that song, There's a Great Day Coming. Would you come as together we stand and sing?